0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi and good morning. My name is Miranda Coop. um, And for some of those of you that may not know me or know of my story, I and my husband Shane were pastors here at Westway for the past 17 years. My husband Shane was a creative arts minister and served alongside this body of believers with his whole heart, soul, and mind. He taught and led through his life. His style is speaking truth and love and through helping the body of Westway lay down their preferences and come to the throne of Christ each day with the heart of worship. Shane died in November of 2020. As some of you know, sorry, sorry, As some of you know, his job has been picked up and served faithfully by teams of people who have been taught by Shane over the years. My deepest gratitude and appreciation goes out to each and every one of you. I am excited to announce that Wesley has asked Cody Peterson to be our next pastor of Creative Arts. and his family have graciously accepted and they will be transitioning over here um, the next few months and I pray that you will join me in continuing Shane's legacy of encouragement unity and love as Cody serves God with his whole heart soul and mind he will not do things as Shane did nor should he he will not lead as Becky has nor should he he will lead according to his giftedness and the needs of the body at Westway as Christ leads him. Our preferences and desires are not what Christ wants us to hold on to when we come to his throne to worship him in song, acts of service, relationship, or work. When we unite as one body, one purpose, the other details are trivial. Christ remains. For our reading today, we're in Ephesians 1 22, verse 23. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church and the church is his body. It has, it is made full and complete with Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Thank you.
0: Amen. I think God's pretty awesome. Um, a couple weeks ago, Miranda reached out to me and just said that she, um, she just wanted to share with our body on a Sunday. Um, so we talked about just what that would look like and um, just so thankful for her heart and for her family's heart and desire for our church body uh, to be united um, around the things that God has called us uh, to be. United around. I want to encourage you this morning to open your Bibles to Ephesians one, verses twenty-two to twenty-three. We're not going to put them up on the screen today, but if you have that Bible, that U Version Bible app on your phone, um, you can follow along with us. All of our verses are in there. All the things we're going to talk about today are in that U Version Bible app. Um, So let me see a show of hands. How many of you are hoping that I was going to be in a suit today? Okay. Um, Here's um, how many of you knew that that just wasn't going to happen. All right. So after four years, you have figured me out. I'm so thankful um, for that. If you don't know, um, I'm John, and I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church. Um, okay. Thanks, Tony. Good for you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Um, I love, I love being together. With our with our church body, um, the church matters a lot to me, uh, and it should matter a lot to us because the church matters a lot to God. A few weeks ago, um, I'm in a I'm in a Facebook Messenger thread with a few pastors. In the area, and we just communicate throughout the week and a few weeks ago, one of them, Tyson from the Rock, shared with with um, with us an article from a newspaper in Denver, and it talked about a recent Gallup poll said that um, less than fifty percent forty eight point three percent of Americans in fact now consider themselves to be members of a church and over the past year, we as pastors in the area we 've been talking about what does that mean to be involved and engaged in a church. Uh, we've wrestled with that uh, here. Is the church simply a, ga- a physical gathering of people or is there more to it? Is, is being online and being a part of, of, of a gathering that way? Does that consider, is that considered to be part of a church? So we've been having all of these conversations. So I, I started looking at the article and then I did the thing that I tell you not to do. I started looking at the comments on the article and about three comments deep, my, uh, my brain uh, began to explode as just reading comment after comment after comment of, of really people who do not understand what the church is. And I was so, I was so frustrated about that. And I, and I knew that we were going to spend at least one week talking about the church in this series, How the Bible Works. And between that article and, and a Bible study that I've been a part of with, with a number of people here at Westway Christian Church, I just felt like we needed to spend a few weeks and we needed to talk about the church because the church matters to God. We need to understand what the Bible has to say about the church so we don't, so we don't go off half cocked on some, on some internet thread not having any idea of what we're talking about. So what I would like for us to do today and over the next several weeks is we're just going to talk about what the Bible has to say about the church. Because this is where we get our, this is where we get our instructions from. This is where we get our theology of what it means to be the church from. And as I read through that article and I read through the comments, I just, I just saw a lot of opinion. I saw a lot of emotion. I saw a lot of, well, I think which frankly is irrelevant for the Christian. We want to turn to scripture to see what the Bible has to say. So we're just going to talk about two things uh, today. The first of those things is a church is the creation of Christ. A church is the creation of Christ. And the second thing we're going to talk about is a church is uniquely related to Christ as the head of his body. So the church is a creation of Christ, and the church is uniquely related to Christ as the head. And we're going to talk about these two things in reverse order. So a church is uniquely related to Christ as the head of his body. Uh, Miranda read this text from Ephesians 1, so we're going to read it again. It's Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 again. I want to just invite you to follow along. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. All things are under the authority of Christ. We could flip back. We could read Matthew 28 and we could see that Jesus says that God has given him authority over all things. And here's what all things means. If you look it up in the Greek, it's really simple. It just means all. Christ is the head of all things, especially of the church. Christ is the authority within the church. And this benefits us for him to be in charge. So I was thinking about um, reading through other scripture, seeing what did, this, what did this actually look like? What are the implications for a church that does not have Christ as the head? I flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some of the members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. See, one of the things that we can see from, from just these few verses is that when Christ is not the head of the church, factions will arise, division will take place within the church, there will be a lack of harmony. There will be factions built around people rather than Christ. See, this is why this is why it was so important what, what Miranda said a few minutes ago about Shane and Cody and Becky. We don't have, a, we don't have a, a church led by factions who are built around certain people and engaged around certain people. Our head is here at Westway Christian Church, is Jesus. And if we're not careful, we will will follow people rather than Christ. And and it's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to allow our our own personal preferences to get in the way of what the mission and the purpose of the church is. I mean, you know, I fall into this category as well. I fall into this space as well. There are different pastors and preachers that I listen to during the week, different churches that I listen to throughout the week. And every single time, like the person that I think is going to talk, when I hit play on my podcast, and it's somebody else, and the person gives their name, and it's not the person I like, there's a little part of me that's like, oh, like I get that. But here's the thing. The church is not built around people. As the head, it's built around Christ. So what does this what does this mean for us? If you're still in 1 Corinthians, just flip a page or two. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. So don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world, or life and death, or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So we don't, we don't follow human leaders. What I posted yesterday on, on my own Facebook page about this is, I'm not the CEO of Westway. I'm not the manager of Westway Christian Church. It's not how we operate. Christ is our head. So what I did was I, I asked our pastors and elders earlier this week, I just said, what, what does it mean practically for us that Christ is the head of our church? Like, I think if I were to say that, we would all agree with it. We would understand what, that, what we meant by that. But practically, how, how do we see that play out within the body life of Westway Christian Church? One of them um, said, this is a great opportunity for us to talk about how we look to Scripture. So here's a for instance. Over the last couple years, we've we've been talking about what does it mean to be an elder at Westway Christian Church. But beyond what does it mean to be an elder at Westway Christian Church, what does the Bible say about eldership? So we spent a lot of time over the last 18 months talking about eldership at Westway Christian Church. We've read a lot of things. We've watched a lot of elder videos. But you know where we started first? We started in the pastoral letters. We started in this spot in the place where the Bible tells us what biblical eldership looks like. Cuz we don't want to get that we don't want to get that wrong. Cuz if we're not careful, it'll just be it'll just be 11 people sitting in the fireside room on Monday talking about well I think it says this I think it says that I was reading a book one time and I saw this like what does what does the Bible have to say to us about eldership let's let's start there and maybe maybe some of us think well, we ought to maybe ought to finish there as well but I think we can agree that Almost 2,000 years have passed since what Paul wrote. So there is some context. There are some things we, we think about as, as the world has changed. That doesn't mean we don't do what the Bible says. It just means we have to figure out what does the Bible mean. And how do we stay firm and stay in accordance with what the Bible has to say in the midst of our own time? And then here's the second thing, and I'm going I'm to read this. This was a John Thomas said this. We see Christ as the head of the church in that our focus is not on a powerful, charismatic leader. Our focus is and should continue to grow to, to be on Christ as the head, not people. This practically comes about as individuals grow in their personal focus on Jesus through his word and the Holy Spirit. We encourage and help one another, but our primary focus is Jesus. This is why we so much talk about how we want you to just read Scripture. We want you to read the Bible. We want you to turn your eyes to what Jesus has to say, to the person of Jesus, to how he acted, how he behaved, how he treated other people. Like We want to we turn our focus off of, of humans, And point to Christ. That's why we talk about the Bible here all the time. That's why at the beginning of our messages we say, turn in your Bible and open it to X. We want you to see that we're not making these things up. And also we want you to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. We want you to compare the things that we say To what the Bible has to say. You become our check, if that makes sense. We want to point to Christ as the leader. I'm going to read this Ephesians 1 text to you again. This is 22 and 23. God's put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church... Is his body, right? So that answers the question. So if we read verse 22, God's put all things under the authority of Christ, has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. We ask the question what's the church? The church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So as we think about the purpose of this gathering, the purpose of us as an organization, we think about all of these. Kinds of things. We have to remember that we are. We're creation. Of Christ. We have been made. By him. We are his body. We're not my body. We're not your body. We are Christ's body. And he fills everything with himself. So again like here's a question. Maybe we should ask. Why why does Christ fill himself. The church with himself. I thought, I thought maybe he would fill the church with us. Well, no, it says he fills the church with himself. So, why? Again, if we go back to the church at Corinth, what we would see, if you read through 1 Corinthians and a lot of 2 Corinthians, what you'd see is you'd see a church that was filled with self. You'd see a church that was self deceiving. You'd see a church that was self-righteous. You'd see a church that was self-sufficient. You'd see a church that was arrogant and proud. You'd see a church of people that, that actually sued one another. You'd see a church that seemed to think that, that the relationships that they had with certain people were a means of advancement in this society. So here's what I mean by that. If I'm, a, if I'm a follower of Paul and Paul helped found my church, like that would give me some certain status within the church, you would think. I've had people, haven't heard it a lot here, but at different churches I've, I've been at, I've heard people talk about how, how they were a charter member of the church. They were, they were a group with all of these people as if that gave them some sort of status. And see, the church isn't about status, at least status. For us, it's about elevating Christ. The church in Corinth was about, was, a, was about connections with the best and most articulate speakers. Right? You'd have people lining up for and against different people. So Christ fills the church with himself. Because if the church is filled with Christ, there's no room for our own issues to get in the way. Does that make sense? There's no room for the church to be built around me or Mike or Joe or Shane or Willie or any of the other people that if, that if we're not careful, what, hap- like what happens when those people leave? I know that's a touchy subject for us, right? What would it be like if, if everything in our creative arts piece had been built around Shane? When he leaves, what do we do? We want the things that we do to be around Christ. We want to remember that the creation of the church is a creation of Jesus. He brings order to chaos. How does he do that? How does does Christ bring order to chaos? Well, glad you asked. It's the next thing in my sermon. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not going to read all of these texts, I'm going to read around them. Verse 11, Paul writes this He builds the church with people. Paul calls These people gifts a few verses earlier. These people are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's how Christ builds the church with gifts. He gives the church gifts to build the church. In verse 12, he says that these gifts, these people have a very specific role. I looked it up in Greek and they have an equipping responsibility so these people, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they have an equipping responsibility. And what that means is they furnish and they perfect the body for a task to do deeds, to labor, minister, and serve. And see, when those, when those leaders do that well, the structure of the body is built up. The structure of the body is built up. What, is, what does that look like practically? In our elders' meetings, we talk about um, what the Bible has to say about certain things. How should we pray? I know, let's look at the Bible. How should we build relationships with people? Hey, let's look at the Bible. What does the Bible have to tell us? And for you, what does that look like? How do you get built up? Practically speaking, that looks like our body, including myself, including other pastors or other elders, saying things like, hey, you know, I, I heard this. I heard, I heard a pastor talk about this. I read this article. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. What do you think? How do I deal with that? That's one way we build you up. I actually had that happen over the last few weeks. Someone sent me a message and said, hey, I have a few questions about something. And I, and I initially did what I always do, which in my confession is a little dysfunctional. My first response was, we should get together and talk about that. And then I thought a little bit more and I started flipping through the Gospels, and what I saw was not a lot. I want to say there's like six or eight times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus gets asked a question about something, and you know what Jesus' response is? What do the scriptures say about that? Can you imagine going to Jesus, looking for Jesus to be an answer man for you, and his response is, well, what do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say? There's one time where he even says, you are a teacher of the people and you don't know the answer to that question? So I responded back to that person and I said, "Um, here's what I'm gonna do. It's interesting. This, This thing that you asked me about, I spent about half of my month last month reading a little study about that same exact topic. So I photocopied that book, breaking all sorts of copyright laws. I created like a self-guided study for this person. I put it in the mail and I sent it to them. Because what we want to do is we want to equip our body to be able to know who Jesus is. To get to know Jesus' heart and it's so easy for me to like jump ahead and 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 meet and talk and I don't want to don't want to sound like I don't want to talk to people because that's not true but but we're we're people a lot of us in this room and and maybe even watching online a lot of us have been here for a while a lot of us have been in scripture for a while you know how to read the Bible? When, we, when I teach on Sunday mornings, one of the things I'm doing is I'm trying to teach you how to read the Bible. I'm trying to teach you how to ask questions of Scripture. This is not, and I'm just gonna be cautious with what I say, this is not hard. It requires time and it requires effort and we want to we equip you in this so by all means ask us questions and recognize we might tell you go read the bible it's not because we don't want to answer your question we don't want to engage into a conversation it's because our job is to equip you and in verse 13 Paul writes that the leaders are going to do this they're going to do this equipping until we're all united in the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ We talk about unity. We we talk about having one mind and we ask questions. um, What does that look like? Well, earlier in Ephesians, Paul talks about giving each person a special gift. And we've talked about this before, but here's what I wrote in my Bible, drew an arrow to it. It's verse 7. God is looking for unity, not uniformity. We're going to talk more about this next week of what this looks like. But God is looking for unity, not uniformity. We all use the gifts God's given us to become mature, perfect in Christ. Christ is our standard. Do you see that in the text? Christ is our standard. That's verse 13. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is so important for us. Look, we all know that Dave in receiving, or wherever it is you work, right? Dave in receiving is a jack wagon, right? We all know that he is. But Dave is not your standard. He's not your standard. Those people who sin differently than us are not our standard. Christ is our standard. So we don't compare ourselves to other people as Christians. We don't look at the way other people sin and compare ourselves to them. That's the pathway to self-righteousness. But here's the thing, we also don't want to compare ourselves to others within the church. Just because we can't lead music like Gabe can lead music, just because we can't cook like Evelyn cooks, just because we can't teach a class like Dave Robinson can teach a class, doesn't mean we're defective. It just means we have different gifts. And the gifts of other people are also not our standard. We're going to, again, we're going to talk more about that. And see, what Paul is doing here is he's telling us that when we focus on Christ's As our standard, we are not going to be immature like children. So here's the thing. If you are focusing your attention on other people, well, I'm so glad I don't sin like that person. Or I wish I had the gifts like that person. What Paul is saying here, you can read in the text, you're immature. You're an immature person. The Greek for that means simple-minded. So what Paul says is when we compare ourselves either to the sin of others or to the giftedness of others, we're being simple-minded. He wants more for us. God wants more for us. And when we're immature, we get tossed about by waves and blown around by every wind of new teaching. Man, there's so much I want to say on this. There's so much I want to talk about of, of what it looks like to be inundated with false teachings. But here's here's the reality for the immature believer. You can't recognize it because you don't know what maturity in Christ looks like. That's what it means for us to be immature believers. Again, like reading through those comments in that article in the Denver newspaper, I'm just like, where where do these people get these ideas from about the church? I don't even understand And so much of it sounds like it should be correct. So much of it sounds like it should make sense. But that's verse 14 too. Maturity means we won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that sound like the truth. I made the mistake yesterday um, to look on the app TikTok. For lots of reasons, that was a mistake. The hour I spent on TikTok alone was the mistake. But I, I started looking through like different different hashtags about Christianity and Christian beliefs and and all of these different things. And man, it was it was filled with people who have who have M div after their name and pastor at a church after their name, all asking questions like, did God really say? Did God's word really say that about human sexuality? Did God's word really say that about hell? It's like, I mean, just endless scroll of people who, who have, who have positioned like myself and like our pastors and elders and who stand in front of people every single Sunday and ask that insidious question, did God really say that? And here's the thing, they have one minute video clips. Parents, I love you that your kids are, are sucking up in droves. That They sure sound like they know what they're talking about. Unless you know what the Bible actually says. Key words, key phrases left out. And it's just like, man, the Bible, dude, the Bible doesn't say that. Where does this, where does this come from? And I just, I'm just so, I'm just honestly just concerned for the state of the church. And it's not mine to fix because it's Christ's church but i'm just so I'm just so concerned because because there are immature people who have no idea what the truth of scripture says, and they say little phrases and little key things, and in the back of my mind I'm like, I know where that's going, 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 and I'm just concerned, so the counter to all of this like what do we do? some of us want to want to just want to just come in here and gather right we want to We want to form a a Christian commune or, you know, we want to go build a cabin in Montana somewhere and just like all retreat from the world. That sounds like really, really a good idea, but that's not, but that's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us to maturity. That's verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. That's the counter. That's the counter to 40 million TikTok videos, all trying to undermine the faith of people who have no idea what they believe or why they believe it. The key is maturity. The key is speaking the truth in love about sin, all sin. Not just some sins, not just sexual sin, but we want to talk about gossip. We want to talk about anger. We want to talk about bitterness. We want to talk about hatred. We want to talk about the way that our preferences get in the way of what God calls us to. We want to speak the truth in love. We must speak the truth in love. And when we do this, we become more and more like who? Christ. See, we're not going to replace Christ, but we become like him. In verse 16, he, Paul ends this little section. Christ is the head. He puts us together perfectly. And see what, what I want you to know, one of the things I want you to know this morning is that, is that none of you are here by accident. For those of you who are watching us online today, you're not. You, this isn't an accident. God has put us together for a reason and for a purpose. And it's to follow him, to see him as, as our head and be obedient to him as our head. And when we follow him, others grow. And I think some of us have fallen into the spot of like, where this this just becomes all about me. But the, the gospel is not just about you. It's not just about me. It's not about my own vertical relationship with God. It's about our relationship with God. When we come together and we read scripture it's not just us who are being built up and edified it's all of us That's what it means to be unified not uniform Is this is not about us When Christ is the head of our church we won't have a confused factionalized selfish church we can have preferences. We all have preferences. That's what it means to be unified but not uniform. We all have preferences, but we're not going to break fellowship with someone because of those preferences. We're not going to break fellowship because Cody doesn't play like Becky, who didn't play like Shane. Like, that's just not what we're going to break fellowship about. This isn't about our. Preferences. We won't seek to build relationships with people because they're higher up on the org chart. Like Mike and Joe are down here, but John's up here, so I want to be friends with. Like it's really important to me that I go to John's small group over someone else's small group. Man, give me a break. Golly, I like that stuff. I don't have. It's funny, we talk about this in our like, I don't have influence. Our elders. They run Westway under Jesus' headship. This isn't about me. All I'm going to do is irritate you in small group. You can ask anyone that comes to my small group. Like that's, not, that's not how we function. And when leaders lead, when those, when those gifts use their giftedness, they're not going to do everything because they can't. They can't do everything. What the Bible tells us, what scripture tells us, what God through the apostle Paul is telling us is that our role is to equip. And when leaders equip, we find unity and order and selflessness. We find ourselves in a situation where, where, we, where a pastor passes away. And we have a team of people who are just ready to fill in. That's how the body ought to function. Jesus is the head of what we call Westway. Not me, not our elders, and not you. We read and we study and we pray together and we have conversations and discussions. Not just in, in elders' meetings or leaders' meetings, but in Bible studies and small groups, and Sunday school classes, and other gatherings. We ask questions of one another. Are we really doing what God has commanded us to do? That's one of the overarching conversations that we've been having in, in our elder and pastor meetings over the last several months. Are we really being obedient to what God has commanded us to do? And we have real talk. I gave you that phrase last week and, and my wife was telling me this week that she heard several people use that phrase when they came into Cappuccino and Company. Real talk, real talk, real talk. We have real talk in our elders meetings. Every week I walk in there and I get asked about something that we, that we had talked about from scripture. And I don't fear that because we talk about things. Our our leaders strive to submit our preferences, power, and place, and position to Christ. And when we fail, we repent. And there are times where we've said, you know, that's just what I want. I think this is more about my preference than than anything else. So, like, I'm not going to engage in this conversation. Like, that is just so healthy. And we expect our church body to follow that example. I said this a few minutes ago, probably going to harp on it over the next few weeks, but on a larger scale, the church, capital C church, does not need our help being reformed or revitalized. I think there's this culture that we think there's something broken in the church, so we need to fix it. Well, the church is the bride of Christ. So for those of you that are married, I want you to imagine for a moment, if you're, if you're a male in the room, I want you to imagine for a moment, someone walking up to you and saying, hey, you know what? I really like your wife, but I think she's put a few pounds on. Would you want to punch somebody in the face? See, when I hear people talk poorly about the church, it makes me wonder if they know whose wife they're messing with and i just she's not ours to fix when we don't follow christ and there are times as as a small ch- small sea church we like we probably miss the boat on a few things by all means like let's have that conversation and then join in the work of personal obedience I was so weary to read through all of those comments of just people just telling Jesus how fat his wife was. And that sounds crass. But isn't that what's happening? And I think we can do better. And this isn't just the insider conversation. So, so I know there's people in here who may not be Christians. You're like, why are we having this conversation? This doesn't mean anything to me. Well, because the way that we follow Christ has implications outside of these walls. For a world who doesn't know Christ, the way we follow Christ, the way we love his bride matters. Because the world doesn't need to see a fractured and divided church. There's enough of that. They don't need to see a cult of personality. They don't need to see a church building or a church organization built around me or Tyson or John Simpson at Mitchell Berean. Or Northfield, Kylie at Northfield. We don't need to see cults of personality. We have a world that needs to see unity and maturity in Christ. They need to hear the truth spoken in love. And here's the thing. When, when we follow the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a marginalized, lost, and broken world will, come, will flock to us They will want what we have. Because what we have is joy. We have purpose. We have unity. We have a mission. And when they arrive in here, our message needs to be singular. When they show up in our building or in our homes for small group or at the coffee shop for conversation, they need to see Jesus. They need to see Jesus. They don't need to see our preferences, our power, our place, or our position. They need to see Jesus and not find any confusion about who we are, what we're about, and who's actually in charge. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for this morning. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you are not keeping things hidden from us about who we are, how we are to behave, how we are to act, how we're to love other people. You don't keep things hidden from us about who's in charge. I pray, God, that we would, we would simply submit ourselves to you. That we would be faithful in proclaiming you as our head, you as our authority. That we would see the church as your creation. And would we and we would see ourselves uniquely related to you as our head. You are the thing that gives us meaning and purpose. And it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.